while the fourth generation of her family to get behind the steering wheel of one of the best-known car dealerships in the state. Today's guest is also a community builder. Let's put this show into high gear as we take an entrepreneurial road trip with Amanda Graponi Osmer. I'm Matt Murray, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matthew. Yes. Uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you for um, lining up a whole bunch of puns already this morning. I- the, 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 my, my, my dad came out in me in full raging force. I, I was like, oh, this is fun. All right. Well, we'll just continue the journey and we'll see if we get off at any exits and who knows what else we'll come up with. And that's um, what made the cut. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. No, I can. The cutting room floor is just full of puns, full of puns. Um, real quick programming note. I am apologizing to all of our listeners who listen to this fabulous podcast because of the sound quality. The last few weeks, uh, of course, we we rep- record a bunch in in kind of a day, and the last few weeks of podcasts have uh, sounded like I've re- been in a tuna can about a thousand miles away, uh, and that's not what we like. But we do what we do when our family is sick and we can't get somewhere. So uh, it was it was nice to be able to still converse with those guests. But I'm so glad to be back in the studio. And it's so cl- apologetic great to have you back to all of the folks who had to listen to the last few weeks. They were great interviews, but my teeny little voice uh, hopefully will not return for many, many moons. That's it. That's it. Um, hey, so as it relates to today, um, how's your car buying experience been over the last few years? Or last few cars. As okay. Yeah. I'm like oh, a no. lot of people. When Matt says, it, okay. It, it, is, it is one of my <laughs> least favorite things mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sucking up to our guest. No. Her dealership is the exception that I have. Yes. Yes. I agree. I it, agree. It, in fact, it, it was part of my best and worst experience. They were the best mm-hmm. part of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I try to be one of the, you know, an educated consumer. So I right. go online, yeah. I look at everything, I send emails out ahead of time to mm-hmm. different dealerships, make phone calls and say, you know, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for. I try not to be obnoxious. I mean, I'm, we obviously want the best deal, but, you know, I understand they need to make money as well. You know, it's a business. Um, you know, and so, you know, do some pre-buys because I don't want to waste anybody else's time. Yeah. And then yeah. it, it came down to a couple and uh, one was, uh, a, a, I will not name them. Mm. They're lucky I don't. Um, <laughs> that I had actually bought a car from before and had a so-so experience with and I got mm. my service there. Mm. And then one was um, our, 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 our guest's uh, dealership. And so um, they came back with good prices, went up to Concord, uh, to Croponi, had a very good experience. They're very much like, you know, here's the price. And it was yep. it was not a pressure sale. No. and the gentleman that was helping was very nice and very helpful and gave mm-hmm. us information. He's looking up and he's like, you know, um, the, that particular color we don't have and I'm looking and I'm not seeing it in New England. I'm not saying we can't get it. It mm. just wouldn't be, you know, today. Yeah. And this is about, and I'm like, okay, in the meantime, I'm getting phone calls back from this other one. <laughs> oh, God. And yeah. this person who was kind of obnoxious, um, but was telling me, you know, I think they were going to 
either match or whatever, but you know, he's like, but we have that color. And I said, are you sure? Cause I'm being told. <laughs> oh, are you sure? You don't. And he's like, no, no, we did. We, we, we definitely will have it shined up and ready for you. I'm like, now this is an hour difference, mm, right? Yeah. Like, we've already driven an hour mm-hmm. and now we're going to drive an hour basically back towards where home is. Yeah. And so, and I told the gentleman, he's like, he's like, I honestly, I'm looking at our system. I can't find it. You know, like it's not in New England. So I, if they have it, I'm not sure why it's not in the system, but you know, I'm not trying to red flag pressure you anybody. He's like, I'm just trying to give you the information. I said, <laughs> I totally believe you. I said, tell you what, this yeah. is my promise to you. I said, if I get over there and they don't have it, I'm coming back here. I don't think he believed me. Yeah. He's like, okay, you know, very nice. So I get in the car and I, I call this guy back. I said, I am being told there's none in New England. Are you sure you have this? Yes, we do. Come on down. I get there, Uh-oh. go up to the counter, dun, dun, give this dun. guy's name, and the guy at the counter kind of chuckles, which, you know, red flag, and you're like, all right, not a good sign, <laughs> oh right? Not God. setting me up. And, and I kind of give him a look, and he's like, well, that person isn't here, um, but I'll give you this other gentleman. So he hands me off to this poor salesperson, because I'm already cut my hackles up. Mm. And so I explained to him what went down and he comes back. He's like, yeah, we don't have that. And then my inner Karen came <laughs> screaming out of me. <laughs> Let's just say they cleared <laughs> the sales. Salespeople took their customers out of the sales <laughs> Let's area. Let's go look at some cars. Because I was perhaps loudly explaining why this was not acceptable <laughs> and what was oh, going on. No. And like the, the manager came over, the one that chuckled at me. He's like can you please keep your voice down? And I explained very loudly that I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I explained to him, you know, why, why is this going on? And he's like, we'll get you the car. We'll get you the car. I said, I know you're just lying to me now because mm. I've already been told you can't get yeah. the car. Right, right. So, yeah. So wow. I drove back to Concord. Yeah. It was an hour before closing. Mm. Done. John. I drove away with a car. Bye-bye. I got the you know, about the price I wanted. Yeah. No fuss, no muss. Yeah. And I'm like, I will never make that mistake mm-hmm. again. Amen. Ever. Thank you. And that is like, I think the dichotomy people face, there's the experience of why you hate getting a car. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the experience you don't get enough. It's like a triggering experience. So I've, I've been offered lunch. I've had the whole like, let me talk to the finance manager. I'm like, right, oh, here we go again. you've been there for like four hours? Yes, of course. They're like, oh, let me buy you lunch because you're starving and obviously you're dehydrated and, you know, whatever. Because um, we're doing it on purpose. Yeah, right. Because we're trying to, you know, drag <laughs> we're you. We're wearing you down because we're about to exactly. hit you up for all the post exactly. stuff. Exactly. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. No, I've, uh, and then, that um, in another like one. just over a year ago, this was like a miracle, first of all. It was two days after Christmas. We knew we wanted a larger car. So what did I find? But I found a Toyota Highlander at Grapponi. And I was like, wait a minute, what? They have a car on the lot and it's the same trim level that I want? So I called and it was there and I drove down and guess what? Like maybe an hour after I got there, I was out the door with a brand new car and I didn't have to haggle. But I went in, in my triggered experience of having purchased cars and like was like ready to negotiate. And I knew how they did business, right? And even the guy, the guy comes over and says how much they're going to give me for my car. And I wanted to like haggle with him a little bit. I'm like, I got to do a little haggle. It just doesn't feel right, you know? So it was like 250 bucks, right? So we're like, we split the difference or whatever. And he's like, yeah, fine. Just because the goal was just to get a car and get out of there. And 
that's what we did. And it was fantastic. And I'm never going anywhere else again. And it's funny. It's the two major purchases you're going to make in life that are the most, a house and a car are the two that people would rather have bamboo shoots stuck underneath their fingernails than to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously I think there's some signs out there of there's businesses obviously out there that want to change how that Uh, model works. Exactly. Because nobody needs 12 trips to the finance manager and a free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> just need a damn car. So that's our therapy session <laughs> for the day. Say, our apologies to all of those listeners who not only had to listen to weeks of my tinny voice, but now had to listen to us work through our problems together. Thank you. Glad that we had that moment. Now time for the real deal. Our guest this week is Amanda Grapponi Osmer. She's the fourth generation of her family to own and help operate Grapponi Automotive, established by her great-grandparents as a single gas station in 1924. In 2017, Amanda launched Leadership Grapponi, a program that seeks out the company's emerging leaders and challenges them to mentally, emotionally, and physically over a nine-month period with the goal of uncovering their true leadership potential. Faith and volunteer work are central to Amanda's life purpose, and she has served on many nonprofits and advisory boards in her career. One project near and dear to her heart is the co-founding of the Dewey School, a nature-based preschool located at Canterbury Shaker Village. She lives in Sanderton with her husband, a high school coach, and all-around amazing human being. There are three children, dog and other critters, and fruit and veggie gardens. Welcome, Amanda. Can I talk now? <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Now that we're done with our therapy sessions, we've built our insurance. It's we're ready to so go. It's so hard to listen to these stories and not I be know. able to contribute. <laughs> I'm like coming out of my skin. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it, it was painful for us too. But um, so I will say this. Um, in my eyes, uh, you are a rock star in New Hampshire. Um, you are a rock star not only because of the great business that you've had and, and, and what your family has built. Um, but also, as we alluded to in, in, in your bio, uh, in your introduction, is of just who you are and how you're operating. Uh, and, and of course, how we talk through our car exp- experience at, at the dealerships as well. But um, being that Grapponi Automotive is approaching its 100th anniversary, can you tell us, maybe uh, start with the basics, that story of how that single gas station started in 1924 and um and who started it and just you know how it's moved to where it is today which is pretty amazing Mm, sure uh so we have like seven days right yes we do yeah yeah absolutely Uh, (laughs) yeah seven days or like you know 30 minutes (laughs) well i am in the midst of researching for um for a book actually about the first hundred years of our company so i have a lot of information that i will try to sift through and not give you because you have to get the book Uh, but (laughs) the short story is that both my great-grandparents grew up in the hill country outside of naples italy so they actually almost 11 miles apart but they never knew each other so until they came to the u.s and were introduced at a christening back in the good old days uh, they did not know each other and their families they did probably very common work for italians Mm. back in the late 1800s his side of the family they pretty much look like they were stonemasons going back for at least four generations. That's how far I've been able to trace. And then on her side of the family, they were all peasant farmers. So I've been trying to work with Ancestry. I have worked successfully with Ancestry.com to try to prove a theory that my grandfather always had about his, his own grandfather being kidnapped and therefore needing to flee the country and come to the U S and all that. So, um, the, the quick version is it didn't actually happen. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
was a really but, good one too. But here's what I found. Okay, so nobody would have kidnapped anyone in my family because they had nothing. They were peasant farmers. They worked other people's land. They they didn't have a, a penny to their name. So they came over um, to the United States. She actually, Emanuela was my great-grandmother. She arrived in 1900, and my great-grandfather Rocco had come five years before. Uh, there's no no record of his arrival. We don't have that um, oh, wow. documentation, but we do have one of hers. We have the, the passenger list into New York City. Her mom and two of her siblings came over with her. So they, as I mentioned, met... Um, they met in Revere, Massachusetts, right near Quincy, and he had really been following wherever the granite was because being a stonemason, mm, and sure. he was only 12 when he came over, but oh, wow. it was in his family. So uh, by the time she arrived, you know, he was 17, 18 years old, and was also getting into the stone trade. So he'd settled in Barrie, Vermont, because his brothers, two older brothers were there, uh, trying but not successfully to have a, a stone selling business that mm. went out of business pretty quickly. Then they went down to the Bronx. Um, There's obviously just a lot of stone being sold on the on the market back then. People were still building with uh, New Hampshire granite, you know, New England granite, all sorts of buildings going up and monuments going up. Um, so at the time it was a pretty good business, and then they ended up going back to uh, her family in Revere where they actually were like, we have, I have relatives. I don't know if you know this. You think I'm a rock star now, but wait till you hear this. I have relatives who are in the Candy Hall of Fame. <laughs> the really? candy. I didn't even know yes. there was such a thing. So there the we go. The Orlando side of the family, yes, in Massachusetts. The candy so, Hall of Fame. Yeah, so okay. they briefly, Rockwood and uh, Emanuela went there, but then she ended up back in, in Concord, New Hampshire, because that was just, I think it was just a place they felt comfortable, they felt at home. And from what I've, uh, the research I've done, it seems like it was fairly accommodating to immigrants. Um, they were, there was an Italian section of town, but there were a lot of Swedes, a lot of French people. So he ended up, Rocco ended up working at the Swenson Granite Quarry. Uh, they were on strike in the early 20s. And my great grandmother and two of her daughters had been working at, um, it's, it's not there anymore. The building is there, the Ralph Pill building in Concord, if you oh, know sure. that. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it had been a shoe factory, and then it became New England Cable, which was a place that built cables and wires and things for Model Ts, um, oh, so nice. for Ford. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, great-grandmother and her two daughters worked there to save up money to buy a gas station, which is what originally was Graponi, um, Graponi's first family business together. So definitely the uh, the ladies in the family contributed big time. It was not just, you know, the, the men started the business, the men ran the business. It was all hands on deck it was, with any immigrant family. Sure. You know, the, the gardens out back, the fruit trees, the... How you take care of each other and everybody else, and uh, yeah, so so that's the, those are the humble beginnings. That's that was a single gas station, and one note of interest mm. uh, is that when they went to look for another way of making money, because he actually not only were the stone cutters on strike, but silicosis was a pretty dangerous disease that stone carvers would get. They would breathe all of the dust into their lungs. And that could fill up their lungs and kill them at a young age. So so Rocco was looking to leave that trade anyway. So um, they had looked, I guess, at a piggery outside of Concord. <laughs> so I, you could have been interviewing a fourth-generation hog farmer right uh, now. You know. But, I, <laughs> but you I, probably I have no wouldn't doubt. have had as many bad stories. Well, <laughs> so. Yeah, right. I wouldn't have had a buying a pig story to share. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they decided for whatever reason against the piggery, went with the gas station. Um, and November 15th, 1924 is when they, they signed the mortgage for, uh, they, they borrowed 2000 bucks from Merrimack County Savings Bank and, and off they went. Wow. Yeah. 
deep roots. That's really cool. That's that the is, shortest version I can that, give you. Well, I mean, and that is fine. <laughs> we, we probably could have spent more time, but that's that's okay because we've got a lot more to, to dig into. And I think apropos of the fact that Matt and I just spilled our, our automotive guts over here and car buying guts, um, I, I want to dig into sort of where the business is now and all of that. But how you got to where you are today in terms of how these dealerships operate, how you're you're working with your teams, compensating your teams, and these are and, and making this car buying experience just different. And, mm. and I wonder too is are there other dealers uh, dealerships and, and automotive groups out there that do this as well? Or is this something that uh, you know it it seems like it makes sense, but you you see I think more of the the other side of it than, mm. than something like, you, you know, yours. So um, how did you get to this point of saying, all right, this is the way we need to operate because mm-hmm. something is broken? Yeah, the very short answer is the Toyota production system. So people oh. think because we've been a, a Toyota dealer since 1969, mm-hmm. um, they, they think, I would have guessed that, you know, Toyota probably trains us really, really well on TPS, Toyota production system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we worked on the manufacturing side, that would be true. But because we're on the sales side, we, I've had to just learn it from books. It's like Italian. My grandfather never taught me. I should know Italian, right? I'm a fully <laughs> mm-hmm. one-eighth Italian. Mm-hmm. I had to learn it from a book. And I, I don't, it, and I don't speak it very well. I speak Toyota production system way better than I speak Italian. <laughs> but this, so this is one of those things where I read a book and I'm sure people listening have had this exact experience. And for whatever reason, a phrase or a chapter or something about it, just the theme of the book stops you in your tracks. You mm-hmm. put the book down and you realize expletive. Now I can't do it any other way because I know this is better, (laughs) Mm -hmm. even though it's going to be really hard. So that was my moment. I was actually between flights. I don't remember where I was heading, but some business trip. And um, I was hanging out at some restaurant in an airport between flights. And my dad had just retired. It was 2008. He Mm -hmm. left just a few months shy of the whole global meltdown. Mm. Um, And my brother at the time was still alive. He passed away at 35. So he died in 2015. But at the time, he and I, Greg and I were still running the business together. And, um, and, you know, so my dad had left and it was sort of like, okay, we've got to put the big kid pants on and see, see what we can do here and what will be the mark of the fourth generation? You know, how, what will our legacy be? And so I'm, I'm sitting there reading this, this, the Toyota way field book. And I get to the point where they list all these seven forms of waste and all your lean dorks out there are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> I love the lean like, dorks. They're like, you're over-processing. Et cetera, et cetera. So there are seven forms of waste. Like, great. If you love Deming, I call Edward W. Edwards Deming my dead boyfriend. I don't know what his living relatives <laughs> feel, feel about that if they've ever heard me say sure that. But like, sure he's just, he's, a, he's an amazing person to learn from. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's Deming, there's all these forms of waste, there's manufacturing. And I think people can largely get their heads around that. It's a great concept. Um, but what, what really drew me in was that eighth form of waste, which is identified later on. So the original Toyota production system did not have eight forms of waste, it had seven. So the eighth form of waste, which is identified, and I read it in this book uh, by Jeff Liker, is the, the lack of uh, human creativity mm. or unused human creativity. And, and that just, I don't, I still can't explain why it, it was, I was just dumbstruck. I was like, well, of course that's like, it's a, it's like sinful to not let people be creative and to not get out of their way and let them just flourish. I, and I guess, you know, not surprisingly, my undergraduate thesis was on the concept of human flourishing. So I've, oh. I've had like along the way, yeah. I've had these moments of realizing that, you know, if people can't reach their potential, something's really wrong. Um, 
And so, and I happen to have been raised in a car, in the car industry and Mm. would not have chosen it for sure. I don't think I, me personally, I'm not creative enough to have seen myself succeed in this space. I think I would have just been impetuous and said, well, I'm not going to be a car salesman because I've had enough experiences like you guys are explaining (laughs) where I'm like just standing off on the sidelines. You know, I've been doing this for 25 plus years now Mm. and watching and hearing horror stories and just thinking like, I don't want to be any part of that. That's, that's not what I want to spend my days doing. And more importantly, like as a leader, you know, as I reflect on it, I'm not doing the doing anymore, but now I'm leading an organization that's asked to sell things and to provide these services. And how can I ask my team to do that, to behave that way? And then to still hold their heads high in the grocery store and see their neighbors and realize, you know what, sorry, I so screwed you in the finance department, but I had to get my kids their hockey equipment or whatever, you know? Uh, So I I just, whenever you guys tell stories and I hear these stories routinely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure all people gush of those stories when they see you. They do. They really do. And, And it's still shocking to me that such a high volume of dealerships still choose to do it that way. But my heart immediately goes to the person who's doing the work because imagine being that salesperson. Mm. And if your, if your defined task is just go make as much money as you can. And by the way, it's pure commission. So as much money as you can make for the dealership, you can also make for yourself. Like, yeah. That's kind of an unfair ask, you know, if you're not, especially if you're not designing a system that honors and respects the person doing the work back, mm-hmm. back to Deming and back to the original uh, Toyota production system was originally called the, the respect for humanity system. Oh, Most people don't wow. know this. That's why I love it so much. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's great that they produce basically defect free cars every 96 seconds off the line in Kentucky or wherever they're coming off the line. Um, that's great, but that's a byproduct of the fact that they try to design a system around the people doing the work. So that's, that's really what really kind of got my, my boat floating in the whole, um, lean space. And then I, I applied it to, when I was the general manager of our collision center, I applied it there, um, went through a big, big change where we basically, we went through the shop and, and one thing I should say is that I've never had an original thought in my life. Like I, I I love Deming. I love Toyota production system. Um, I've, I've borrowed heavily from a lot of different people. Jeff Liker, I mentioned is the Mm -hmm. author of the Toyota way series. So my kind of go-to method is just ask the experts and the worst thing they can do is blow you off and not email you back. Right. But Jeff Liker, it happened was, uh, he's, I don't think he's there anymore, but at the time he was a professor at university of Michigan. So when I read the books, I'm like, well, I've read all his books, but I need more like what I'm just going to ask Jeff Liker what, what Jeff Liker needs to teach me. So I emailed him and he immediately got back to me. Cause like how many, how many academics have groupies? Like it's this work this to your advantage. The, the answer is yeah. they don't. Okay. Right, <laughs> They're right. really, really happy when they hear from someone like me, who's like, you know what? I need to know more because mm. the future of my almost hundred year company is riding on this. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I've had a lot of success in being able to um, just access people who know what they're talking about. They're deeply passionate about it. And because they're deeply passionate, they want to share it. They don't want to keep it to themselves. So I guess that, you know, one of the messages I do a lot of public speaking and as I love to leave the message, like never fear going straight to the source and just finding out more because they really, truly want to share and they want to make the world a better place. That's why they're doing this to begin with, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I've I've learned a lot that way just by kind of putting myself out there and not being afraid to hear no or hear nothing, just hear crickets. Like that's I don't take it personally if somebody doesn't get back to me, mm-hmm. but they always do. That's the thing; they always do. Because you're a rock star. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing is you're a change agent, and, and you know, yeah. and change 
even when it ends up being good, is so hard for people. And so when you're the one having to push change through and convince people, that's a lot. And it can be frustrating mm-hmm. and it uh, you, you have to deal with the inevitable pushbacks and the bumps in the road. So, and these are not minor changes you made. I mean, you went in and said, look, we're not going to do business as usual. This is how we're going to do it. And, and, and uh, you know, you can explain much better, obviously, than I did. But I'm, I mean, just from a customer experience that I had, it was it was so nice going like, there's no haggling. Here's the price. We're going to try and give you the best price we can. And here it is. And then, um, you know, it was just more of the salesperson being more of a resource mm-hmm. than this contentious enemy kind of right. back yeah. and forth. Right. Can you talk about what it was like? to try and change that mode Mm -hmm. of operating and going against the grain of what has been very traditional in the industry. Yeah. So they, boy, one of the stats that really sticks out to me is that when we switched over and what you're referencing is back in 2013, Mm -hmm. we went kind of whole hog. We, I said, listen, we're going to pull a bandaid off all five franchises at the same time. We're not going to beta test this at one store and see if it works. Mm. And honestly, it comes back to my impetuosity and my lack of um, emotional intelligence at the time. (laughs) I could have been more diplomatic. However, it worked to my advantage in that I was very stubborn about we're doing this. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because I won't be able to sleep at night if we don't. And I don't expect any of my team members to sleep soundly. And guess what? If they are, then we have the wrong people on the, on the ship here. Yeah. Cause if you can do and say certain things like, Oh, you know, if you, if you buy this extended warranty, I'll give you 2% interest. Like that's illegal. But I would get these complaint calls that I couldn't prove or disprove that it was happening because I wasn't there when it was said, or he, he promised me tires for life. Like what? That's <laughs> never been a thing we would ever done. Do you okay. know how expensive right. that would be for yes. us? Yeah, I imagine but what so. do I say? So then I'm trapped between, defending a team member or defending a guest. And mm-hmm. I don't, that's just a false choice. I don't want to be in that position. So, so back then, um, back in 2013 is when we kind of pulled the bandaid off and um, we stopped negotiating. We stopped paying traditional commissions. So the price of the car, what you pay for the car has no bearing on what our team members make anymore. Mm-hmm. It used to be a function of gross profit. It would be like either 20% gross on new, 25% on used, something like that. I may have it backwards, but that's how we used to pay. So it was very much, um, they, they the, the sales staff made it their business to know what the car costs versus what we owned it for back in the day because that they'd be calculating their commission rather than listening to your actual wants and needs. And so that was part of the reason why I didn't like that system. Mm. Um, I did that. I worked fully commissioned out in California for a Lexus dealership for a couple of years. And when, when your rent's 1600 bucks, and this isn't 20, wait, 2002, so wow. this is 20 something years ago. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to calculate, can I live this month yeah. in, in the great city of San Francisco? Right. So even me, and I, I fancy myself rather a nice person, but like I, whatever you need, I'm sorry, has to take backseat. Another pun to add to your list there, Matt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's so hard well to avoid, done. isn't well it? Um, it, is. it takes backseat to what your, your actual needs and wants are. So in my oversimplified thinking we could come up with a system that um, basically like Saturn, if you remember Saturn used to do, where we're just going to price the car. If you like it, that's great. Uh, If you don't, 
then you might want to buy it somewhere else, but at least give us a shot. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why we've been able to stick with this method for so long is that because we had a lot of street cred going into it, it wasn't mm-hmm. like we were a brand new dealership or yeah. some publicly held, you know, just publicly traded company that is trying to maximize shareholder profitability and all this stuff. And like, oh, look, a new exciting way of doing things. It was like, no, you know what? We actually have a mission statement to build lifelong relationships. And we're, in listening to our guests, we can't be... We can't feel good about how we do business and honor our mission statement if we're not doing certain things a certain way. Um, so that's really kind of the the shorter story of how it all happened. Um, the stat that I mentioned like 16 minutes ago that I, now I'm going to get to is that about 70% of our sales team quit or were let go when we made that transition. Oh, wow. And we were surprised by how high it was. We yeah. knew, we certainly knew there would be some turnover, but we were very surprised at just how many people um, sort of just were like, you know, not for me. But the good news is then we had we un- people who understood it wasn't for them. There were the other people who understood, oh, this is for me because this mm-hmm. is very different. And now we're here to build these lifelong relationships. We're not here to maximize profitability every mm. single time someone walks through the door. You know, that's not, that's not our job description anymore. Wow. And wow. what's been the long-term effect then? Uh, long-term effect, I would say... I mean, for sure, I feel more confidence in the fourth generation being able to carry this through, um, this meaning the company. Um, There's a lot of outside threat in terms of people, especially during COVID, everybody was buying up dealerships left and right. And um, every year, I mean, there's always a rumor. There's somebody right now somewhere in New Hampshire believes that I'm about to sell to someone. It's just, it's always out there. I'm not, just for the record, if anybody (laughs) wants to hear the truth, it's far less interesting usually. But usually every few months, somebody's like, oh yeah, so-and-so down at whatever dealership says you guys are selling to whoever. I mean, fill in the blank. And we're not, but that's, it's always out there because it's a real threat. Um, Sometimes these other, you know, multi-shop guys can, they, they own all these dealerships across the United States and they have buying power that we don't have for things like systems, you know, their computer systems or <clears throat> um, whatever, inventory management, whatever, whatever they have, they can switch cars between back and forth between states if they want. Mm. Uh, so things like that. But I would just say, you know, we've really, we've done a good job of focusing on what matters to us. And for me, I'm a very purpose-driven person. I've never been someone who's been, um, you know, like enamored by the big dollar signs and, you know, win this trip if you sell all these cars. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. nice to be to, to be rewarded and recognized, but mm-hmm. my reward, honestly, and I don't know if this just sounds like I'm Pollyanna, but she's from New Hampshire too, well. so there, we might be related. <laughs> <laughs> the research has oh not goodness. turned that up yet. <laughs> On my grandmother's side, we go way back, like 1600s in New Hampshire, so I'm going to look for Pollyanna there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, my reward is just to be able to help people to reach their potential and to actually feel good about coming to work every day because I know firsthand if I'm better at work, if I'm happier and more satisfied at work, I'm a better parent, I'm a better spouse, I'm a better community member, I'm nicer on my ride home on the highway, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. And and if I had to boil it down, I would say like if I had a calling, if the fourth generation is leaving its mark somehow, I would say that it's in putting the team first and really helping to understand like you come here not because you have to punch a clock or collect a paycheck 
Um, but truly because you're, you're part of a mission to build these lifelong relationships and, and every single one of us matters. And I think that when you walk, at least my hope is when you walk into the dealerships, that's my litmus test is when somebody who's not been there before says like, why is everyone so happy here? Almost like it's <laughs> almost like we're doing something wrong. What's Do they going not on know where place? they are at what work? What are you all eating? Oh my God. It's not the Bowell water. Okay. That's I can right. tell you. It's not the right. Bowell water. Oh my goodness. Leaves, leaves yucky marks on cars. But yeah, no, I, that's my litmus test. If people feel happy and seem happy, it's because they are happy. And honestly, that's that's what motivates me to get up and do what I do every day. Love learning so much from you and, and just the loving the where your head is and where the family has has come from, uh, as you said, really nothing. And, and it's it's inspiring and it's awesome. Um, speaking of being inspiring and awesome, uh, your. You did it well. You did it. You did a thing, as we said in the in the introduction. In 2017, launched uh, Leadership Graponi. I want you to talk more about that and um, of this uh, the new dealership, the Mazda dealership, and this facility, this training facility, as it were, that's within that uh, or will be within um, that facility when it's done. Um, tell us about this program and uh, where that came from, what it's doing for your your team, and. Uh, and then, of course, how you're building that into the newest of your uh, dealerships. Yeah, oh, I love this question. So Leadership Graponi is uh, definitely a ripoff of Leadership New Hampshire. Hey, so no that's doubt. all right. Of <laughs> which, by the way, you yes. are, is it a 2010 graduate? Yes. There it yes, is. Yes, I am. <laughs> Three of us in the room. I know. It's very exciting. <laughs> I think about half of New Hampshire has been through Leadership I, New it's Hampshire. It's 30 now. years, so, so you would think so, thing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the, the great fortune of going through LNH, and then I joined their board um, just after I graduated. And fortunately, my brother got sick not long after that, so I stepped off the board. I think I was mm. only on it for maybe a year or so. Um, but work got to work with Steve Reno pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. Then I did a couple of the regional programs. I did the uh, Lakes Region and Greater Manchester Leadership Programs. And after doing the third one, I thought to myself why am I the only one who gets to do all this great stuff? And I understand, like, you can't send everybody through these. And But I really started to feel this tug that the folks who work at Graponi, so, there are 340 of us. So there are a lot of people who probably want the opportunity to do something like what I'm getting to do over and over and over. So that's when I decided, um, I think I'm going to try to just do this internally. And it was loosely based on L&H um, in that it starts in September, ends in May. Mm-hmm. And then we meet, we do an overnight retreat at the beginning. Um, we also, by popular demand, do one at the end, which is now an overnight hike in the White Mountains. Nice. So that, that's how we kind of cap it all off. Uh, we did Lafayette. We climbed Lafayette last year. This year we'll be doing oh, wow. one of the Kinsmans. Yeah, we went. It's a real deal. We did. It yeah. was quite something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was It was pretty, pretty <laughs> impressive. They did a great job. Uh, one year we did a half marathon, but all the other years it's been hiked. And so for folks that may not have gone through Leadership New Hampshire, yes. what is the, um, the what, what do people experience in your uh, organization when they go through your leadership program? Yeah, great, good question. Thank you for um, letting me know that the two-thirds of people in the state of New Hampshire <laughs> haven't been through it. <laughs> need a primer. Um, so the first year I did it, it was way more like l and that I had guest speakers come. We would go regionally to a different place, different part of the state every single month. Um, then I realized that's a migraine to try to organize. Mm, so I was like, you yeah. know what? What if I just bring in a couple content matter experts so it's the same couple of people every 
every month that we meet. And that's just a, logistically a lot easier. We still do it in different parts of the state to expose them to different regions. Um, if you live in Manchester and drive to Bow every morning, that's where Graponi is. Uh, that can be your your view of the state that's of New Hampshire. World, yeah. It's like, yeah. and then there's the toll, and then there's Graponi. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much more. So we go all over the state. Um, so that's one thing I picked up from LNH. And then the two content matter experts that we hired, one does uh, emotional intelligence, just sort of as a catch-all term. Uh, we use the DISC profile. She actually, if you haven't used the DISC before, it's, it's four quadrants and kind of breaks down uh, your innate personality style, helps you to understand yourself and others better. Um, but she's actually one of the original authors in the late 70s of the disc. So she's 75 years old. She's just an absolute wealth of information. Mm. Uh, her name's Pamela Cole. So she does the bulk of the training. And then we've had Dan Houston, who's a professor at NHTI, come in and, and teach uh, mindful communication. So we do a lot of uh, meditating, you know, mindfulness, that kind of a thing. So uh, basically what I'm hoping that people get out of Leadership Graponi is... The, number one, it's all voluntary. Voluntary, so anybody who can apply, um, but they, I think that's why it works so well, is because it's you're not forced to be there. Somebody didn't say, oh, you know what? We've seen some challenges with you. <laughs> We're going to put might, you in the program. You know, you need to spend nine months with Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Because I actually do the program. I've done it six times now. I do it every single year, every mm. class with them too. And I, it's taken me all of these six years to start to finally learn like the vast importance of emotional intelligence. Mm. Um, I referred earlier to some of my not so diplomatic ways of doing things. And, you know, maybe I wasn't as nuanced as I could have been. I'm, but my dad always called me a bull in the China shop, which is, I don't know if that was meant to be a compliment because I was in the sales world or not, but... <laughs> I've definitely mellowed, um, but it's a choice, you know. Yeah, I, I recognize some of the things that I do well, some of the things I don't do well. Mm. So that's what we try to offer for our the the participants is, you know, where are your strengths? How do we make those shine even more? Mm -hmm. Rather than beating on your weaknesses and expecting you to get better at something you're probably not going to be good at, because there's there might be a reason why you're not particularly skilled in a certain area, like. Mm -hmm. My prefrontal cortex is not online most of the time. <laughs> I make very bad decisions, <laughs> but I know this now. So at least I can try to like build in two seconds of thought time before I answer uh, a question, yep, yep. maybe in a way that makes me have to clean it up in five minutes. From now. <laughs> so we learn a lot of different techniques. Again, the mindfulness is huge. And I always define for people who are like, um, mindfulness is like a religion and I'm going to have to light incense and sit cross-legged. So this is how I define mindfulness. It's creating a gap of space between when you have a thought and when you react to your thought. Ooh. That's all it is. That's And that's the gift of mindfulness is just recognizing your thoughts. So then you can make a choice about how to react to your thoughts. Yeah. And so wow. to me, like, when when is that not a useful tool? Uh, right. Always <laughs> and always forever. Always useful. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So those are some of the some of the things we learned. And then um, we got to the physical piece of it. You know, I expect people to train because at the beginning they know at the very end, this is what we're oh, going to be doing for right. the hike. Right. Um, so it's actually led to some significant lifestyle changes for certain people. It's been pretty impressive to see, you know, some of them have taken it really seriously and changed how they eat and how they exercise and just how they take care of themselves better. So that's wow. really rewarding to see too. I was going to ask you about that originally is mm -hmm. when you were mentioning it went up Lafayette. I was I'm thinking, do they know that they're going up Lafayette? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. that's probably a good thing that they knew. Yep. <laughs> awesome. And had some time to train. Wow. Um, well, you know, the another area I wanted to delve into because there's so many fascinating discussions we have. But um, 
obviously it's been a challenging time since COVID for a lot of industries, but the car dealerships got hit so hard in so many different ways and have really had to um, adjust in so many ways and to pivot. Can you talk about what are some of the different challenges that your industry have been going to and how have you and your team at Graponi been responding to it? Mm, Well, number one, don't feel bad for car dealers because (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but most people marked up above MSRP. I don't know when you shopped, Matt, for your car, but... Prior. Okay, okay. (laughs) all right. So during COVID, it was very common practice to see like these just market adjustment prices. I'm doing my air quotes quotes, for people who can't see me. Well done. Um, and I, yes, it's true. Supply and demand is a thing. And yes, we had way fewer cars. Like I'm talking probably 15% of what we'd normally have on the ground. So for some reasons, that's actually a good thing. I like the model where every truck that comes in has pre-sold inventory on it Mm. because I don't have to pay interest for it to sit on the ground. It's called floor plan interest. So when, when we used to have $30 million of inventory just sitting, waiting for people to come by, we're waiting for people to say that's not quite the right color. <laughs> can I can I get can I get this in a different shade? Um, and for the privilege of owning all that inventory, mm. like we had to pay the bank for the new car side of things. So it was really helpful. We actually at one point at Mazda, I had a credit in my uh, in my floor plan interest account of about sixty bucks. That was nice to see. Sixty bucks, um, nice. And and everything, like I said, was pre-sold. So it was mm. it just made it a lot easier for us to manage the flow of inventory. Mm-hmm. And then like, for example, we had at one point pre-COVID, I think we rented four different places in the city of Concord just to park overflow inventory because we couldn't physically keep it on our own lots. We just didn't have enough room for it. Wow. And that's not even in the winter when you, then you have to deal with snow banks and trucking s- snow off. It's, it's all very, very expensive. So having too much inventory is a problem. And, uh, and why I say don't feel bad for us is that if you notice that people were marking up over, M- uh, over MSRP, I mean, the lowest markup we saw was about $2,500. Wow. And so it, interestingly, during COVID, our team of directors, um, and we're all, it's not a board of directors, we're, we call ourselves directors, but we're like on-site working every day. Mm-hmm. So it's the president, it's me, it's HR, it's the woman who heads up accounting and the gentleman who heads up all of uh, fixed operations, which is um, service parts in the body shop for us. So we didn't even have a discussion about whether we're going to mark things over MSRP. And I don't know why we didn't. We just were like, MSRP is a big delta between what people are used to paying and what they're about to pay. Like that's well over $1,000 in most cases for families. So we didn't. And then we started, it just popped up like overnight, just about everybody around us started marking cars up. And I honestly don't know of a dealer who didn't. If I knew who they were, I would mention them because I, I think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I just didn't research enough. If somebody knows, please call and like, you know, tell me, correct me, because I want to know who those other people are. But every time we were out competitive shopping, because when, when you price things the way they are and you and you don't negotiate on your pricing you set the price, you need to know your market competitive. So for the past couple of years, we've been way less than everybody else. And I made the mistake of grabbing a calculator recently <laughs> and doing some basic math. And I conservatively said, if every car we sold in this period of time when people were marking up, if had been just marked up 2,500 bucks, we left close to $13 million on the table wow. just, by not, just by not charging over MSRP. Wow. Not coincidentally, that's about how much my Mazda. I was going to say, costing. isn't that? 
<laughs> because guess what got more expensive? A building, a building. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at first I'm like, I was paralyzed. I'm like, why did I do that calculation? But then I'm like, you know what? That's it. That in and of itself is a bit of an advertisement. And I'm not saying like, you know, beat my own chest like this. Oh, we're the best. But honestly, people, I think it matters that people understand that's a choice we made. Yeah. And we chose to build lifelong relationships because it always comes back to our mission. And three years from now, when someone's trying to get out of the car that they paid $4,000 more than MSRP for, like, good luck. That's going to be a thing. Like, just watch that tidal wave coming. Because we can't, I mean, everyone's going to be upside down. It's crazy. Unless Mm -hmm. some other weird thing happens and the used car market goes bananas again. But um, (laughs) so... Yes, a lot. There were a lot of challenges. The chips were the big one. Um, the, you know, obviously the fire in the factory in Japan that shut down chip production for oh, like seventy sure. something percent of the world's automotive chips. That yeah. was a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Um, then there were some, like in Texas, I know that there were some uh, natural disasters that prevented uh, certain components from being shipped. And then people having COVID or just quitting and not coming back to the job. So right. like we had cars just stuck at railheads, like they're physically done, completed cars just sitting there in air Massachusetts at the railhead, but there's no one to put them, take them off a, tr- a train and put them on a truck and bring oh them to us. Gosh. So like they're two hours away and people have been waiting for their Fords for a year. Yep. <laughs> like, where's my Bronco? Actually, it's sitting at a railhead in Would Massachusetts. Would you like to drive <laughs> so, Massachusetts? I know. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> so there, I mean, the list is long of the challenges we've had, but it was so padded by the fact that mm. people were now having to pay more just purely on economics 101 supply and demand um, that it it was manageable i would say you would have heard a lot more screaming if all of a sudden for whatever reason we weren't making any money at all selling these cars and we had this you know this uh the supply chain issue but um yeah don't feel bad for our industry (laughs) 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 okay um we we're going to wrap in a moment. I feel like we definitely have to have you back, especially maybe when the the book is out mm. uh, to talk about that. There there is obviously so much and this is so interesting, but I want to do something very purposeful uh, per our conversation here is read your mission statement that you have uh, referred to num- a number of times and that is to build lifelong relationships with team members, guests and the community by serving with integrity, kindness and respect. And I have the utmost respect for you to to run a company off of that, especially in the automotive industry. Um, and I think that's wonderful. And I think it bodes well for the future of, you know, the, the fifth, sixth, seventh generation of Grapponis, as it were. Um, to that end, what is in the future for Grapponi? We've, we've referenced this Mazda dealership mm. a few times here. Yeah. Um, but what else is... is uh, in your mind for the future of, of the company of the business and yeah, well, you'll have to ask my kids. Okay, uh, <laughs> all, right. all right. Are they primed and so, ready to go? Or well, what? no, they're all teenagers <laughs> still. My, our first daughter goes to UNH in the fall. She'll be studying history, which I think is a great course of study yeah. to help you focus on the future. Uh, I was a humanities major at UNH, and I've never have changed a thing. Um, I would say the future, I'm you know, so right now I get to experiment a little bit with Mazda because for the first time, 
almost for the first time ever. I mean, very briefly since 1973, when we took Mazda on as a franchise, um, it's had its own location, but like for several months at a time. And then we're always like, eh, you know what? Probably <laughs> is more efficient if we just stick it in with Ford or mm. stick it in with Volkswagen or whatever. Um, so finally, when we move this coming fall, hopefully around September, October of this year, back to Concord, um, mm-hmm. up on Manchester Street in Concord, that'll be the first time for me personally to, to be a dealer principal. Um, I bought the dealership fully from my dad last year. So this is kind of like my own little beta test of how much autonomy, how many, um, you know, self-organizing groups of people can you have in one building? Mm. And you'd reference the second floor. So when we, when we designed that building, Mazda was very much like, you know what, there's a reason why we make them one floor. We just want to be efficient. You want to make sure you can get your money back out of this build. And they were like, don't, don't build the second floor. It's just a lot of extra expense. But I'm like, you don't understand me if you don't know why I don't want to put the second floor in it very briefly. The second floor is it's a training space. The obvious sort of automotive type training will be done there. Um, there will be a, a wall of glass so you can see down into the shop below so that if you're training up there, you know, you'll have a good visual reference of this is what happens down down below in the shop. Um, will also be the satellite location for the Greg Raponi Humanities Institute, which is um, nice. it's, has a physical space now being built out at the, on the St. A's campus. So when my brother passed, that's what my parents did to honor his memory. He's a St. A's grad. Um, so that is where we'll have humanities programming. And every Friday, we'll do their Come Friday forums for the greater Concord area. You could physically come. You can come on, you know, Zoom in. Um, we can do it that way. Mm. And then just whatever else sort of, um, what other arms grow out of that, we don't know yet, but it'll be fun to see. And then also, like we do now at our Toyota meeting facility, any nonprofit can come in free of charge, use our space. It'll be a very highly creative space. The way that we're designing it is really meant to draw people's interesting ideas out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be a nice, I think, a nice conquered community resource as nice. well. So that's the Mazda building. And, then, and also, again, with the team, um, just in terms of how I'm paying them, the expectations I have of them, uh, how we're training, apprenticing brand new people who have zero auto tech experience and getting them trained up really quickly and effectively. Uh, some of the new things we're doing, it's just there's a lot going on. And um, anything that works at Mazda, obviously, will We'll move to the other dealerships and vice versa. Whatever I see that works at the other dealerships, we'll take and make it work at Mazda as well. Wow. Cool. Boy, oh boy. Um, we're definitely having you back when the book comes out. Right. When When is the book expected to come out? No, well. no pressure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the, I mean, for me, the deadline is I want it in people's hands by our 100th anniversary party. Sure. Which is November next year. Ah, uh, okay. A um, okay. little but, bit of time. Yeah, it is a little bit of time. And I still really do want to go to Italy and actually see where my great-grandparents were born. That'd be great. Like, wow. yeah, where's the land that my great-grandmother worked? Like, if I can find these things out, I think it should just add a lot. Fascinating. Yeah. So it's not quite written. It's in my head. Okay. Does that count? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, in some, writer, in some yes. ways. Yes, 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 it does. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, thank you so much for your time, your dedication to your employees, to the community, to your family. Um, and uh, Amanda Graponi Osmer is Graponi Automotive. Thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.